that sounds like Lawrence Fishburne in The Matrix and the Ninja Turtles villain had an illegitimate movie baby. Radio Drone. Where else would you go on a Thursday night than just to rot your brain away with Josh Hadley, as well as the panty sniffer himself, Alex Jowski? Yes, smells good over here. And Cecil T. Robot. I'm not letting that one go because it fits really perfect. It really does, doesn't it? It does. Because you can buy panties at adamandeve.com. Alex, would you please do the Adam and Eve promo for us? You can buy panties? You can go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, you get 50% off a single item, free shipping in the United States, three free DVDs, and a mystery gift. In the past, we've talked about riding a trend. We had a whole episode on that, of all the trend movies of the 80s and 90s. They, they, these happened in the 70s, too, but they were much more prevalent in the 80s and 90s. Tonight, I wanted to look at some of those trends in a little bit more detail. For instance, one that I've never quite understood was the skateboard movie trend. Skateboarding was obviously really big in the 80s, and I was a skater too. You had a bunch of movies in this subculture of skate punk movies, and sometimes they had to really stretch to to continue to call themselves a skate punk movie. Either of you seen Gleaming the Cube? Numerous times. What do you mean, stretch? That movie was a skateboard movie. It was awesome. It was it was a murder thriller that happened to have a main character who was a skateboarder. I don't even I don't consider that really a skateboard movie. Hell, the the title when it was released in Europe was A Brother's Justice. It was about the murder, not the skateboard. The skate punk stuff kind of is incidental to everything except the finale of the movie, really. Nah, they do a lot of like skater culture. They I mean they had the lingo, they had uh, so many scenes. Well, Tony of... Hawk's in the movie as the Pizza Hut driver, remember? Yeah, it's, yeah, Tony Hawk. Actually, I believe Tony Hawk did most of Christian Slater's stunts because the two of them are about the same build. And you can, you can kind of tell when Christian Slater, or sorry, when Brian is doing the stunts that it's not Christian Slater. The hair is totally different. The build is slightly off. You go, yeah. Christian Slater well, probably sucked at skateboarding. Well, that makes sense because Tony Hawk did David Spade's stunts on Police Academy 4. It's it's a great movie. It's one of those ones that uh, I, I saw. Well, I'm not time. debating that it's a great movie. I enjoy the hell out of it. I just feel it's more of a murder mystery than a skateboard movie. Uh, I, I don't I mean, it's one of those movies. I just identify it as a skateboard movie. I mean, yes, it is a murder mystery. And yes, they did give it that awful, you know, the brother's justice. Which sounds like just, a freaking TV movie title. It really, really does. does. It's so bland and generic. They actually used to play it on television under a brother's justice. And the first I've time I've never we, seen it as anything but gleaming the cube. I just know that that title existed somewhere. Oh, no, I saw it here because uh, I had already seen it numerous times. And then one night uh, on Fox. Ugh, sometime in the early 90s, I think, I was flipping, and I'm like, 
Brothers Justice? What the? Like, why'd they change the name? This is Gleam in the Cube. Gleam in the Cube was such an obscure, weird-sounding title for, you know, their audience. I guess they went with the Brothers Justice. But anyway, they did a really good job of capturing the skater culture and, and just uh, the the boards and the lingo and the with him building the board at the end and all the um, famous skateboard people that were in the movie. I, I think that it is a skateboard movie that has a murder mystery within it. Well, then let's move from that to 1986's Thrashin'. You guys remember that one? I remember Thrashin'. I have the special edition DVD. I have never seen this on anything except cable, so I'd have, I've never seen this movie widescreen. Let's put it like that. It's but sometimes released as Skate Gang. I have never heard of it as Skate Gang. For those that don't know, Thrashin' is basically, and I'm really boiling it down, West Side Story on skateboards, isn't it? Eh, yeah, kinda. <laughs> I mean, you got you got Josh Brolin as the good skate punk leader, and you have Robert Russler as the evil skate punk leader, and Josh Brolin falls in love with Robert Russler's sister, and it creates this war between the skate punks. It's about as goofy as you can get in a, in an awesome way. Oh, I, I love it to death. I have seen it a bunch of times. Okay, the best way to describe it, and I'm going off... 25-year-old memories here of you know, watching it on HBO at 3 in the morning. It, it was very... It was shot like a movie aimed at teenagers in the 80s. You know, it, it was just kind of, let's take West Side Story and we'll just make it for skate punks, but th there were a lot of good stunts, I remember. Remember Robert Russler being ridiculously over the top as the evil skateboarder? Oh, no, he's way over the top. Like, everything is so black and white. It's... I'm really good, and I'm good guy, and I do, and then they I'm play the archetypes. Evil yeah, guy. They, they play archetypes instead of characters. Dude, the Red Hot Chili Peppers were in it when they were nobodies. Like they had a, um, they went to a skate club, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers were playing uh, Real Men Don't Kill Coyotes, and I remember seeing it, and I'm like, the hell are these guys? I, and re then, I remember seeing suicidal tendencies on Miami Vice and thinking the same thing. And then, you know, a couple years later, they they completely blew up. But uh, but yeah, Thrashin' is probably one of the most, I don't want to say perfect, but like... Unapologetically fun. Unapologetically fun, concentrated. That's what I was looking for. Concentrated skateboard movie. It is a lot of a lot of skateboarding, like an overwhelming a lot, amount of skateboarding, which was cool because it was great. Because the this, this skateboarding was done, again, by actual people who knew how to skate. And actually, Josh Brolin knew how to skate, so uh, he did a lot of his stunts, which is one of the reasons why he got the lead in the movie, because he was a good-looking kid, and they didn't have to worry about getting into the stuntman. Now, they had some for some of the more complicated stuff, but he did a lot of his own stunt work, which was pretty cool. I'm more familiar along the lines with Larry Clark putting skateboarders in all of his movies. But are those skateboard movies or just movies that happen to have skateboarding, I don't know, subplots? I've seen kids listed as a skateboarder movie. They don't really uh, – I mean, yes, they do ride around on skateboards, but I don't at all. I don't consider – kids is not a skateboard movie, no. And then there's a movie called Was Up Rockers he did about some Latin American immigrants that become skate punks. Well, and then you've, you've got one of the weirdest ones. Either of you ever seen Shredder Orpheus? That sounds like Lawrence Fishburne in The Matrix and the Ninja Turtles villain had an illegitimate movie baby. Well, Shredder Orpheus, post-apocalyptic 
skateboard fighting the man. I don't want to say comedy, but it's relatively lighthearted and it's clearly a satire of the post-apocalyptic genre, but it's played straight. The main character is trying to topple the dystopian government with his magic guitar and his skateboard from hell. How am I not familiar with it? This is everything I adore. Oh, I see a good bad flick on Shredder Orpheus coming up, don't I? Oh, my God. Throw some robots in it. <laughs> I can't. I haven't seen it since high school, but I think there might be robots in it, too, or cyborgs, at least. Euthanasia Broadcast Network. Oh, this yes. looks... Holy shit, this looks glorious. That seems like it would be a gloriously fun thing to watch. So you had bizarre ones like Shredder Orpheus, and then a couple of years ago, and I've only seen the last half hour of it, but I really liked the last half hour, I caught part of Lords of Dogtown, which is supposedly a tr the true story of the people that kind of invented what we think of as modern skate culture in the 70s. And have either of you seen it since I haven't seen the entire film, but I really did enjoy the last half hour? I've seen the documentary Dogtown and Z-Boys that the movie is based on. I saw it like when it came out on DVD and really thoroughly enjoyed it. They did a good job of not making it squeaky clean. Like some of the people were dicks. It had a really cool vibe to it, and uh, I, I enjoyed it. I really did. I don't know, again, how much is actually factually accurate, but as far as the movie's concerned, I thought it was good. I couldn't find any other ones that I would... I mean, there's lots of skate documentaries and whatnot. I, I, I want to leave those out. Outside of skate culture, you also had... There was a slew of... Remember the, all the dirt bike movies of the early 80s? Like Rad, and I know there was like two or three others, but I couldn't think of their, their titles to look them up. There was a big documentary put out by American Cinema Releasing in like 79 called Dirt about the entire dirt biking phenomenon. It, you had the surfer culture, like with the Endless Summer movies, and you had a couple other surfer movies. Why do you think that these things, these types of movies, would catch on for four or five years and then just completely go away? Was it just the trend is over, or we've run out of ideas for how to make a dirt biking movie anything unique? I think it's a combination of both because these trends come and go. There's trends for everything. It wasn't just these sports like skaters or surfers or dirt bikers. You know, the trend comes, you have one big hit, so a bunch of others all like, oh, well, this is popular. Let's make our own. And then it's milked pretty clean, and they move on to the next big big thing. Dirt bike movies kind of began and ended with Rad. I just wanted to throw that out there. I know there was at least a couple more. I saw I saw the the boxes on the video store shelf all the time, and they weren't documentaries. So there were a couple of more at least. Oh, no, I'm not saying that there weren't others. I'm just saying that that is the pinnacle of awesome dirt bike movies. So if you only are going to be able to see one, you got to watch that one because it's fantastic movies with the trends and all that. The problem with these is that I would say 90% of them, they would all follow the same, they would all follow the same plot. It basically, Oh yeah. Be, it was basically this. It was basically, we change what brand of whatever this is we're using. We change the actors, but it's the same essential story. Mm -hmm. It's either good guy, skater, biker, whatever versus 
bad guy corporation uh, guy who uh, his brother or he's the brother of the girl that he wants to go after. So it's either um, a love story or it's a against the man story or in some cases it's both. Bre- Breaking movies, you had the we have to save the youth center. There were so many of those in the 80s. I don't know if that was a trend in and of itself. Like ski school. Ski school. I mean, ski school. You well, had the thing a... with ski school was that was that that was good guy versus the rich snobby bad guy. Well, actually, it was the slobs versus the snobs. So it was kind of the old. Isn't that Caddyshack um, then? Cat. Yeah, that's the thing. It was kind of the Caddyshack formula, but which also could fall under the trend because it was all those sports movies where they were kind of taking from Animal House. Whoa, 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 but... whoa, whoa! No, golf is not a sport. Don't you ever call golf a sport. It's not. Okay, it's a thing that guys do outside, and it's really boring and sucks. And the only good thing to ever come out of golf is Caddyshack. The big thing with movies like Ski School and Hot Dog and all that, this is following that tried-true formula of slobs versus snobs. But let's throw in a whole lot of nudity, and that'll get people to watch it. And it absolutely worked. Now we're going to move into... This will probably most likely take up the rest of the show. Loved the virtual reality trend of the 90s, which when I was looking this up last night, not only were there more of these than I remembered, they went on longer than I remembered. Some of these virtual reality movies were made in the early 2000s. I really thought this died around 97, 98, but the virtual reality movies, what the hell were we thinking in the early 90s that we thought virtual reality would be the next big thing. We thought it was going to be the next big thing. How? Looking back, it's so dumb. I don't know. Have you seen Overdrawn at the Memory Bank? Yes. That looks awesome. No, it doesn't. Seriously, virtual reality seemed like it was going to be something real that would be totally awesome. And then when we finally did start to get it and it never really caught on and it kind of sucks... Virtual reality is like the the problem was we had the concepts back then, but we didn't have the technology. And now we're really starting to get into it with things like Oculus Rift and whatnot. Virtual reality is still a possibility. It's still something that is very much being worked on. I think that a lot of it is just back. I mean, we're going back 20 plus years. So the technology just wasn't there to entirely represent everything that we wanted it to. The CGI wasn't quite there. And so with a lot of effects and stuff, you had stuff that was kind of more stylized than realistic. Like the the concepts, they were grasping at what they thought it was going to be. And we still don't know exactly what it's going to be. Well, because for virtual reality movies, the ones that stick out to me like the, the first one that I consider the first real virtual reality movie, a lot of lists I went to listed Tron. And I'm like, not really, because he was actually transported from one reality to another. That's not the same thing. But the first one would be 1990s Mind Warp from Frank Fangoria Films, the, the one with Angus Scrimm and Bruce Campbell. That's the first one where I remember virtual reality really kind of sticking out as the main plot point. Yes! Mind Warp is yeah. awesome. Alex doesn't sound as enthused as Cecil does. I have vague memories of it, so I can't remember if it was awesome or not. Here's my thing about Mind Warp. I actually liked it. I thought it was really well done. I thought it was going moving at a good clip and had a good production design until the ending. I thought the ending was a total cop-out. 
Because basically this is, at some point in the future, most of the Earth is destroyed, and people are just wasting their, all the rich people that are in, like, the bomb shelter are just wasting their lives in virtual reality, and their bodies are withering to nothing because they never want to come out to the real world. And then this one girl decides that she's sick of this and that people need to start living in reality, so she starts fighting against it. She gets exiled to the surface world, where it's full of mutants and radiation and crazy Bruce Campbells. A bunch of stuff happens, and then she gets killed, and then at the end, oh, her getting exiled to the real world was part of a virtual reality simulation by Angus Scrim, her father, to teach her not to fight the system. Oh, yes, yeah, sure, I again. hated I've the this movie. I was, fi- I was fine with this movie until the everything you just watched was virtual reality. I just went, fuck you, movie. Yeah, I've seen surrogates. Bruce Willis is in that. I don't remember Bruce Campbell in it, though. The way I look at it is it was one of those things where back then that wasn't i mean yes the it was all a dream it has been done before but it's been done a lot more in the past 24 years that since that movie so when it came out that was i don't want to say fairly unique but it wasn't something that was done all the time so it was more effective and the thing was that was kind of cool it was like oh shit you know you you died and then oh it was all part of the simulation it just it it felt Right. It felt cool because then it was Angus Scrim was her father instead of the leader of the cult. But then it, that means Crazy Bruce Campbell never existed because he didn't have a real world cipher. Damn it. Uh, cra- Crazy Bruce Campbell might be somebody who is in another uh, pod somewhere who is, uh, you know, in, in his own virtual reality simulation. Okay, Mind Warp's the one that I consider the first one. But then, of course, you had Charles Band jumping on this. He had quite a few full moon virtual reality movies or close to it. You you had the 13th floor in what was that 99 I think. Yeah, Johnny Mnemonic which I, okay, that's got virtual reality elements. I don't consider that a virtual reality movie, but that's got elements to it. And then you have one I swore I saw until I watched the trailer again last night. I guess I've never seen Virtuosity. Evil psychotic Russell Crowe coming into the real world from a VR simulation to taunt Denzel Washington? How have I not seen this? How haven't you? Because it's actually pretty awesome. I remember Virtuosity. And that was before Russell Crowe or Denzel Washington became household names. Yeah, because uh, it was also a huge box office failure. and The trailer looked very, very expensive. It was an expensive movie. It was not a cheap movie. But uh, that was the thing. It was none of them were really a bankable just yet. They were they were getting there. But it's kind of funny if you put out a movie, if, if you put that movie out now, Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe, uh, people would line up to see it. It's fun. It's corny. Russell Crowe is really great as uh, Sid 6.7. Denzel Washington as dreadlocks for a good chunk of the film. And uh, it's neat. It's got a lot of neat concepts. It's it's cool. I think you would probably dig it. One that I did not like was 13th Floor. I don't know why, but that movie just bugged me when I saw it. There's several movies called 13th Floor. The one I'm thinking of was not virtual reality at all. So I don't think I've seen the same 13th Floor you have. This is the one with Vincent D'Onofrio with long, crazy hair. Yeah, the one I saw was some original TV movie murder mystery. No. You know which one I'm talking about, right, Cecil? Yeah, 13th Floor, I, I thought was neat. It came out, that one suffered from coming out too close to the Matrix. I love Johnny Mnemonic. I just don't consider it a virtual reality movie. It just really 
really only the ending and a couple of minor scenes take place in virtual reality. So I don't consider that a VR movie. Giant Mnemonic, I don't, it's not a virtual reality movie. I consider it more of a cyberpunk movie. Oh, it's absolutely cyberpunk. It's absolutely cyberpunk. Jesus, it's and William Gibson. What do you expect? Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. It's William Gibson, and it's, I really enjoy it, but have you ever seen the, uh, the Japanese cut? Look who you're asking. I'm just making sure. So, yeah, that is the movie that should have been released. What we got was good. But the Japanese version had more Beat Takashi in it. Uh, it had about, I think it was about 15 minutes longer. It had more of Dolph Lundgren, who was brutally over the top in that film, in a fun way. Oh, yeah. It had more of uh, Dolph Lundgren. And it actually kind of explained him a little more, rather than just have him be crazy Jesus guy. They had a little bit more to go with that. The scenes were arranged differently, and it just flowed better as a movie. And, and, the, and the fight scenes made more sense, because like when, when he, in the R-rated, the American cut, Jane is pulling a spike out of her shoulder that was never thrown at her. The Japanese cut, he's actually hitting her with the damn spikes. But for whatever reason, they needed to dump that to get the R. So the fight scenes are even more coherent, because you actually see them connect. Yeah, typical Hollywood nonsense. But um, and then my other point was one one that you kind of forgot uh, or omitted was uh, Brain Scan, 1994. Yes. yes, Brain Scan, which again it goes with the kind of cheat cheat ending. I think I know you liked it, Cecil, but I I thought the ending was a cheat. My my biggest problem with Brain Scan, well, there was two really, and one the the studio was absolutely upfront with the fact that they wanted the trickster to, in their words, become the next Freddy Krueger. That, to me, just seemed shallow and pointless to create this movie just to create a new horror icon instead of letting that evolve naturally. So I had issues with that. I really do like Edward Furlong. He's fucking terrible in this movie. I know from history he was a heroin addict at this point and fighting his addiction. That still doesn't make his performance any less awful in this film. I have seen Ron Jeremy deliver lines with more authenticity than Edward Furlong does in this film. I didn't have a problem with him. I didn't think he was that bad. Uh, I, I did have a bigger problem with the whole trickster thing. I thought that the movie was genuine. I thought the movie was good, but it would have been really good if the trickster would have just been a voiceover character like it just would have been like when he's in the simulations and he's going through the house and you just hear the voice was it not obvious was it not obvious that they were trying to make another freddy krueger which which, like they admitted after the fact but it it was just obvious that this was almost pan the trickster was almost pandering to the audience wasn't it it was so pandering to the audience because he even like nod and wink to the audience pretty much. It was so like fourth wall breaking at one that... at one point because Fangoria magazine plays a key role in this because that's where he buys the game from. I can't remember. It's been a few years since I've seen it. Doesn't the trickster like rip up a copy or burn a copy of Fangoria with Freddy on the cover as sort of a I'm the new Freddy kind of in jokey. And I just went, screw you, movie. That sounds like a trailer shot. It was at the time, 94, when they were looking for the next horror icon that they could capitalize on. And it would have been better if they would have just taken that concept 
and not shoehorned in trickster. I mean, because he even had all those early 90s tropes. He's the guy with the wacky outfit and he's got the spiky hair. I think and what you earrings. mean, Cecil, is he was extreme. He was extreme killer. Like it was basically they took Freddy Krueger and Michael Myers and all these and they put them no, in there. I, no, I, I've got this. Sammy Kerr and Freddy Krueger had a love child. Yes, because he had the Sammy Kerr oh, hair. I got so much Sammy Kerr off him. It, oh, I it was almost so plagiaristic. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, going because they even had the whole metal vibe where uh, he, and was he even the... showed up with the, with that electric effect like Sammy Kerr did. Yes, he zoomed in. I, I, I still I still enjoy the film. And I also like the fact that, yes, the ending is a little bit of a cop out, but then it doesn't cop out because he doesn't get the girl in the end. Like in in the virtual in the simulation, he gets really close to her and he gets to know her and they start to kind of develop a little bit of a bond. But then when he returns back to the real world, he finally gets the courage to talk to her and she's like, nah. And it's like, oh, well, that was cool. That, you know, he, all right, fine. You know, now that he's back in the real world, uh, he's not the same old, you know, he, even though he kind of maybe got a boost of you know, confidence, he doesn't get the girl. And I kind of thought that was cool. I, I saw it when it came out on video, and that was a long time ago. Probably 95, 96. I just remember when I watched it, even when I was a teenager, I felt very under underwhelmed. It wasn't the movie that I think they really, really wanted it to be. It did not do what they wanted. They did not get their new horror icon that they wanted. And I know I'm about, I'm about to be crucified for having not seen this, but a, one that kept showing up on all these lists that I really need to see is Exxons. It's Cronenberg. And is that a virtual reality movie? Because like I said, this one I have not seen, at least completely. Yeah, Existence is totally a virtual reality movie. I think you'll dig it. It's cool they play a lot of really weird cronenberg biological goopy stuff it's very cronenberg and i think at the time there were a lot of people who uh, maybe just weren't feeling his vibe even though you know they're going off of like the fly and stuff it's not like he was a nobody it's not bad i saw it you know again when it came out on video there's a lot of stuff in it that still stuck out for me it's quite a memorable film well, and then you also had virtual reality blending into television. You had VR5, late 90s Fox show. Okay, I, I had two things with VR5. I thought Laurie Singer wasn't actually too bad. I thought Penn Jillette was kind of fun as her neighbor. VR effects are absolutely terrible. As bad as the VR effects are in the Lawnmower Man movies, and I just we glossed over those because we talked about those, the Riding the Trend episode, so... This was those kind of effects attempted on a TV budget. These looked like these looked like internet videos. The, the effects in VR5 were so bad that they actually took you out because you went, oh my god. VR5 I love dearly. And I think that, yes, the effects are bad. No, but terrible. The effects are bad. Look, okay, it was also a long time ago, and it, they didn't have a gigantic budget and they were trying to do stuff that they just couldn't cut off in their budget. But the story and everything I thought was so unique and so cool that I was willing to overlook how the effects were not as good as they should have been. I thought the concepts 
and the way that they were driving the story forward was unique and interesting enough that, you know, you turn a blind eye to it. Like it's sometimes when you're watching uh, something and you just you forget that, oh, well, you know, this isn't as good as it should be see, or whatever. No- normally I can do that. Oh, VR5, for some <laughs> reason, I could you. not. I just couldn't for some reason on this one. The, the almost slapdash, it almost seemed half-assed maybe. It, it kind of gave, gave me a half-assed feel. Nah, I, I didn't feel that. I actually, I bought the series at a, a convention not too long ago because, uh, you know, it's not it's not officially available. Bootlegger! Uh, maybe. So I got that, and it's it's a shame because I, I think that it is really cool. It should, at the very least, be officially released on DVD. I mean, it's not like there's a bunch of nobodies in it. Uh, Freaking Laurie Singer, Penn Jillette, Al, um, Andrew Stewart Head. You know, it, it's it's got... It's it's just a cool show, and I wish it, there was a way to get more people to see it. The VR movies with the goofy VR effects, because there were a lot that really had virtual reality without goofing it up with stupid special effects, like Strange Days. Strange Days, yeah. Strange Days is a fantastic film, in all honesty. We, we've talked about Strange Days a lot in the past, so I want to talk about some of the ones we haven't. Now, here's one that... I consider a virtual reality series, but kind of technically isn't. Do either of you remember the quickly canceled Sleepwalkers on NBC from 1997, starring Bruce Greenwood and a then-unknown Naomi Watts? I remember it, but I did never watch it. Well, it was canceled after two episodes. They burned the other seven off over the summer, so they all still aired. But it was, they use a computer to go inside people's dreams to help them fight their nightmares so it's not considered it's really not virtual reality because they're in people's dreams but they're using technology to do it and it is kind of almost a vr world to the point where you go yeah i don't know would you guys consider sleepwalkers with the way i described it to be kind of virtual reality well, dreams are a reality that's virtual, so yes, it's not a computer-generated virtual reality, but it is still a gen- virtual reality. Kind of, uh, although it sounds more like Dreamscape. Oh yeah, it's it's very much a Dreamscape knockoff. Dreamscape, by the way, is a fantastic film I want to talk about at some point. Another one that you had was another quickly cancelled show, Harsh Realm, cancelled after three episodes. I think there was nine or ten total they're all out on on DVD, and I know FX or Sci-Fi Channel aired them all at some point a few years later. I loved the pilot of Harsh Realm. I thought the pilot episode was fantastic. The unaired pilot, it, the one that's on the DVD, is actually quite a bit better. It's got different music cues, and it's about four minutes longer. So that may not have worked as well on TV, specifically because they were missing a few what I consider essential scenes. But I thought the pilot was fantastic. And then they made the rest of the series, and none of it lived up to the pilot. From what I understand, the pilot cost $12 million, and each episode had a million-dollar budget. There's no way you can keep that level of quality up by cutting your budget that much per episode. And to me, it showed. The stories were stock. Characters were stock. They wanted to have every episode to be episodic with only this slight bit of continuity through it. I thought the series itself was a major disappointment. 
I liked it. Uh, I agree with you that the pilot was really strong. It came out swinging and it got people excited about it. And uh, I thought that the uh, actual show, I thought it was cool. I thought that uh, they could have done more with it. And that was one where if they maybe would have shrunk it down, okay, instead of making it, uh, however, I think it was what, 14 episodes, if I'm not mistaken? Well, they didn't shoot all those. Well, I'm saying, but they they mapped out that yeah. they were going to do. But I'm, if they shrunk it down to a shorter season, like maybe nine episodes, then that would because they already shot the pilot, so that's one. And then they had eight more episodes that they would have had to have split this budget amongst, and they would have given them more per episode, and it would have been able to increase the production value. And in the end, it would have made for a better show because then every episode would have been gold as opposed to having like filler episodes and trying to stretch out the season, which but, so many shows are guilty of. But but then you have the other biggest sin is introducing cool ideas and then because they wanted to keep that episodic nature to it, never touching them again, such as the three percenters. That three percent of the people in this virtual reality world basically had the cheat codes enabled and were essentially superhuman. That's the plot of a episode, a single episode, and then it's never brought up again. And I'm like, that is such a cool idea! They could have... Uh, it was something that could have come back later, but they just never got back to it in the show it's uh, you know i don't know i i think that there are a lot of shows that unfortunately due to the episodic nature like you said that they end up cutting some things out for some episodes because uh it doesn't work or doing the old-fashioned shooting things that are not shooting things but showing things out of order so uh this happened here and then it doesn't happen again for another five episodes even though it should have because this episode should have been shown later that kind of thing there was one thing I did. I thought that they really did do well that, again, only showed up once because they never got back around to it. In this virtual reality world, you're essentially a cipher of what you are in the real world. But you're trapped here. You cannot get out unless you find the exit. And the character, D.B. Sweeney's character of Mike Pinocchio, that he didn't want to get out. Not only is he one of your allies trying to help you escape and take down Harsh Realm, but in the real world... He was he was completely disfigured by an IED. He has no legs and no arms and has burned over 70% of his body. So he's complete in Harsh Realm. He doesn't want to escape. I thought that is a brilliant character dynamic that you could really do something with. So let's bring it up in like episode four and then never mention it again. And I'm just, ah! Well, no wonder the show got canceled. Every time they come up with a cool idea, they drop it immediately. Uh, yeah, but I mean, sometimes with with a f show's first season, it's a lot of let's try this, let's try this, see what works, see what doesn't. And then uh, it really will take off the second season. I know that's not how it should be, but a lot of times that's how it is, is that first season is them kind of getting their legs. And then the second season and on is when they really take off. That's why a lot of shows, when you go back and watch them again, the first season is sometimes tough to get through. That's not an all the time thing, but that seems to be a little bit more constant than the other. Well, and then you had another one, which, yes, this is virtual reality. Yes, it's not tech war. I'm 50-50 on it. I think all four TV movies are actually quite good. Some episodes of the show are, but the show overall was weak when it moved to USA. Because the four TV movies were first-run syndication, and then USA picked it up for a regular season. Virtual reality is almost a drug 
in this world, which was the weirdest part for me. Do you remember Tech War? Yes, I had to sit through a few of those episodes recently because Mike was watching them. The, the one-hour episodes or the TV movies that came before the series? No, the series. Okay, yeah, because those clearly lower budget, clearly more stock stories. And I remember when the TV movies were advertised, William Shatner's Tech War. They didn't really appeal to me in the series of what I watched recently. It was just, it was boring. I remember it. I know they used to run them on sci-fi a lot, and uh, I only caught odds and ends of them here and there. I really wanted to get into them because it just seemed like it was going to be neat, and uh, I just never did. My recommendation, if you're going to get into them, and this is going to be somewhat difficult, is watch the four TV movies and then stop. But unfortunately, to the best of my knowledge, only the series proper is available on DVD in America. The four TV movies are not. In the pilot episode, you have Sheena fucking Easton as an Amazon queen. How does that not entice you? I I need to see this. But then you had one other sort of sub-cyberpunk virtual reality genre. I don't consider it virtual reality, but it was the internet subgenre, where you had obviously the net with the, the Sandra Bullock movie and then the subsequent TV series. Don't forget Hackers. Uh, I'll, I'm going to get there. Hack the planet! I think the TV series for the net is far, far better than the movie. The movie is goofy and stupid. The TV series was quite cool, actually. I watched like two or three episodes, and I'm like, God, the movie was bad, but at least it was better than this. Eh, this is boring. I, I mean, the, the, the movie had like very little concept of what the internet was and how it worked. The show was even so much more disconnected from reality. It was horrible. Do you guys remember this was only a TV miniseries because it was a backdoor pilot that never got picked up? Remember Tom Clancy's NetForce? Yeah, it was based on books that were Tom Clancy ghost-written books. Did you see the miniseries, though? No, but I sat through one of those horrible books that were like, it was Tom Clancy does YA. It was awful. I totally remember NetForce, but I never saw it because I was kind of hot and cold on the Tom Clancy stuff. I picked up the VHS for a buck a couple of years ago. They you know, released the whole miniseries as a movie. And it, it said it at some point in the future where Judge Reinhold is like an evil-er Bill Gates. He is trying to take down the entire internet, which, and I'm quoting from the, from the movie, would cripple the entire world instantly. And you've got Chris Christopherson as sort of the old agent who is not quite with the technology. you got Brian Dennehy as, like, the president. And then you've got Scott Bakula leading a team of special ops forces that are there protecting the internet in the real world. And it's full of explosions and double crosses and poisonings. And it's it's Tom Clancy, let's put it that way. It's Tom Clancy with the internet. Now, this isn't a TV series, but... Anthony Zerker, who made CSI, came out with a Yahoo original short series called Cybergeddon a year or two ago. They released them all on DVD as a quote-unquote movie, but they're, you can tell that these were originally 9- to 10-minute shorts on Yahoo. I mean, first of all, the Yahoo product placement is pretty obvious. Oh, as well as Norton Antivirus. You'd swear Norton Antivirus is God in this world. It's, it's ridiculous. Just a couple of years ago, is something like Cybergeddon still prevalent? Because all these other things we're talking about are from 
the mid to late 90s and maybe really, really early 2000s. Then all of a sudden in 2000, I think it was 11, you've got Cybergeddon. How did Anthony Zurecher think that was still going to be a thing? Who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe he thought it was going to be the next thing again because trends come and go and uh, the, they return. So uh, maybe he was at the forefront. Maybe he got word that virtual reality stuff was coming back around. So he figured he would give it a shot. You know, I mean, it's it's better than uh, the alternative. Well, there's always been the teen supernatural trend. Oh, that, God, yeah, which is now yeah. more prevalent than ever. No, I remember it specifically more in the 90s where Interview with a Vampire wasn't a teen movie, but it really resonated with teens. So then there was like The Craft. And then right after that, Charmed came on television. And then there was Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And I loved Sabrina the Teenage Witch because of Melissa Joan Hart. I always saw that as sort of a an undercurrent of the genre. Because if you read any genre like horror magazines, there was always that they were still making those direct-to-video or you know TV movies like that. That one never really went away. Just Twilight brought it back to the forefront. I'm with you, Alex. Uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, awesome. Oh, my God. Awesome. You're, you're but hey, gay. no, it also brought <laughs> Sabrina the Teenage Witch back because now they've been rerunning it on the, on Hub and there's an animated Sabrina the Teenage Witch series now. So Twilight resurrected Sabrina. Well, and then there was another one. There was another trend that had a really, really brief window. And this was really late in 99 and really early in 2000. Remember, like, the four different Y2K movies that came out all within two months of one another? Oh, so it was not as big as the 2012 trend? It was not as big as the 2012 trend, but there were – because I remember NBC had a Y2K. I can't remember if it was a movie or a miniseries. I tried watching it. It was terrible. There was a direct-to-video one that was like, like about terrorists trying to trigger Y2K. You had a another TV movie for cable, like on USA or something like that. And then I never saw this other one, but all the TV shows that were on at the time had a Y2K episode. I remember Buffy had a Y2K episode. Millennium had a Y2K episode. The X-Files had a Y2K episode. Y2K was the thing you did in late 99. That was a trend that you knew was going to be dated like that. I mean, that seemed almost as pandering as the trickster to, we're going to make our Y2K thing. It's going to be outdated in a week. Well, I love the 2012 trend. I, I think I've, I still watch movies that are 2012 blank and half of them, the 2012 is tacked on like after the fact, like this movie takes place in 2010, but these disasters are happening because, Hey, 2012, we need to upload all of our internets before Y2K. Oh. It's so, it's basically they're all written by somebody who saw 2020 talking about Y2K and they were like, oh my God, the apocalypse is coming. And like, it's like, no, it's just, they just have to rewrite some code. Everything will be fine. Say, so why didn't anybody make a movie called Die2K? I think somebody did. So that oh, that, that sounds really familiar. Remember the title of Alex. Isn't that so supremely short-sighted that it almost borders on idiocy? Well, they had an idea. They had the money and they said, all right, look, we're going to capitalize on this and we need to do it soon because we've only got a couple of weeks that we can really ride this out on. And eh, why not? I, I've seen... 
I've seen stuff come up for uh, movies made and whatnot that for reasons that are just as dumb. Well, and then you've got a movie that Alex talked about earlier, Hackers, which I think is the ultimate internet and we have no clue what we're doing in the making of this movie movie. Because that movie takes, made in 1995, takes place in 1995. They have 1995 dial-up modems with hard drives smaller than some photographs that I have able to do things that a modern supercomputer can't do. I love when they don't even f***ing try to be realistic in an, in an internet movie, don't you? I would say that hackers did know what they were doing in the fact that they had Angelina Jolie's tits. But no, I do like hacker. Uh, ha- yeah, I do like hackers, not necessarily for the computer stuff because that stuff is just so goofy and misses the point completely. Where you get your viruses on screen that are like, oh no, it's the Pac-Man virus or whatever. <laughs> well, and hey, <laughs> and hey, uh, Cecil, going back to VR five, Pendulette's in hackers too. Pendulette is in hackers. He's the uh, the plague's assistant. Uh huh. And, and oh. And it's fun because I'm like, oh, Fisher Stevens hasn't handed up this much since Short Circuit 2. <laughs> Fisher yeah. Stevens was yeah. the best thing about that movie. Except, and Mike White, Rob, St. Mary, and I argued about this on the Projection Booth episode. I really like Lorraine Bracco. She really does something for me. They did not think Lorraine Bracco looked good in this movie. I disagree. Uh, well, I, I watched Hackers because I kind of like developed a crush on Johnny Lee Miller at the time. Lorraine Bracco, the only time she ever did anything for me was uh, Traces of Red, uh, where I thought she was really sexy in that. But she's Medicine Man also. uh, Yeah, she was pretty good in Medicine Man, but I thought she was like genuinely sexy in Traces of Red. Fisher Stevens is just outstanding in it. The good guys are having hack wars where they're like riding around in skateboards and they're they're hacking uh, that that one like federal investigator's (laughs) computer and. It's so goofy. And like Alex said with the, the um, uh, I think it was, oh, the Cookie Monster virus. Yeah. Like, yeah. What is the Cookie Monster? How do you get rid of the Cookie Monster virus? Oh, you write cookie on. And I'm like, no, you don't. Like, none of this is real. <laughs> Are you for real? Come at me. Come at me, bro. Yeah. God. Oh, wonderful. I've, the fact I that, love like... that movie. Oh, okay. Now, I said this on the Projection Booth episode, and it bears repeating here. I honestly think for movies, Hackers is one of the most 90s movies ever. Oh, it is. That Definitely. Scene, the way they like hold floppy disks and pass them off to people. My friends and I would do that all the time. With I love the fact, disks. Alex, that you can have a virus that can destroy every computer network in the world fits a three-quarter inch floppy. I just I'm, love that. And like carrying around three-quarter inch floppies, that was trendy cool if you had your, your your yellow three quarter inch floppy and just toss it to a friend here's that thing you want and the clothes were just great and then i i love that like he has the r zone like uh thing where he flips it in front of his eye like this is somehow gonna make you better at hacking computers or or, or the thing that i like that they always do in movies is where the screen is so bright it's reflecting off of their face and it's like you realize not only can a monitor not get that bright to do that? Because you, I've lit for TV. You know how bright you have to have those lights to be able to reflect off your face like that? But you wouldn't be able to see. Or the fact that every computer network or hard drive is like a cityscape with buildings and you go and like 
it's all mapped out. The, the movie is gloriously bad. And I just, before we wrap up, I do want to say the not really kind of sort of almost maybe sequel Hackers 2 Takedown. That was the, the European title. It was just uh, Takedown or Trackdown. It was released under both titles here in America with uh, Skeet Ulrich, Donald Logue, Tom Berenger is actually quite good. It's not, it's not truth that it, it's supposed to be the true story of the capture of Kevin Mitnick. It is about 9% factually accurate, but if you can just watch it as a movie, take down, track down hackers Two, whatever is actually quite a good film. Trends come and go and some come back because history repeats itself. You know, like I said at the beginning of the episode, each one comes along and, like, you'll have one big success and everyone's like, well, I guess everybody likes computers or everybody likes skateboards. So let's make a bunch of skateboard movies. And then when you finally kill the trend, you've ridden that wave as long as you can. Well, the next big thing comes along. So that will always keep happening. And we'll get some memorable cheese out of it each time. I enjoy a lot of trends because we get so many fun movies out of it because what'll happen is they'll jump on top of it. Virtual reality. Oh my God, we have to make a movie that revolves around virtual reality. Oh my God, disaster movies. We have to make movies about disaster movies. And uh, usually we'll get like a couple of good ones, some bad ones, a really good one, and then just an absolute catastrophe something like hackers that is just wonderfully bad you know or what just in all the the right ways so i enjoy the fact that they keep doing them because it livens things up once in a while we you know there's only so many times that we can have the same movie and it's cool that every once in a while something will happen and then they'll jump all over the trend and then we'll get a bunch of like fun unique different movies out of it And see, I look at it as both wonderful in the fact that, in retrospect, it turns out how short-sighted the producers were. Because at the time, obviously, you don't see it as just jumping on a trend. You're just making another one of these things. And, you know, you kind of think, well, this trend's never going to die. On the other hand, it is kind of pandering to a degree. And I don't like that. I never like movies that pander. But then you get unique entries like Shredder Orpheus that say, yeah, we're just balls out nuts and so you know you get ones like that so i'm kind of iffy on the trend on the trends thing i like them i don't like them now where can we find alex jowski usually at home in my underwear watching sabrina the teenage witch but occasionally i'll take a break and post something on geekjuicemedia.com and cecil is only a trend so i don't know how long he'll be around but where can people find the good bad flicks if people want to watch them? And there better be a Shredder Orpheus one soon. I will keep that in mind. You can watch uh, me giving a wake-up call to the Nintendo generation at goodbadflicks.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. And you can find me, 1201beyond.com. Contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Have a good night, guys.
Velodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.